Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Those are verses 27 to 32 of Psalm 37, verses 19 to 42 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, September the 1st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Job, and we're still in Job's response, which began in chapter 12, and today our passage begins in chapter 16, verses 16 to 22, chapter 17, verse 1, and then verses 13 to 16 of that same chapter, and then we're in John's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 to 17, and in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, verses 1 to 12. So Job is continuing to to respond to the arguments of his friends who say it's because of your sin that God is is punishing you and allowing all this to come upon you. And man, they must have been doozies for all this to come on Job. And Job says, well, that's ridiculous. I haven't done anything wrong to start with. Let's start with that part of the argument, that, that it's wrong. But if you're right, and I, and I think it's possible you are right at some level, that God's just sitting up there waiting to wreck our lives. That, that's what Job has come to believe. And the best thing he can imagine is, to, is that God would never look on him again. If he's going to have to live, and he's not willing to commit suicide in this, but, but if he's going to live, then he needs God to look the other way because he can't bear it any longer. He says, my face is red with weeping and on my eyelids is deep darkness, although there's no violence in my hand and my prayer is pure. I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm absolutely in misery. O earth, cover not my blood and let my cry find no resting place. In other words, I'm appealing for justice in the world, and, and, I'm, and, I, and my claim is that I haven't done anything to deserve what's happened to me, and he hasn't. We know that's true, but, O earth, cover not my blood, and let my cry find no resting place. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. So he says, the truth is known in heaven. Nobody on earth will, will testify on my behalf, will take my uh, plea to God, but I believe there's one in heaven who knows the truth here, and I need y'all to know the truth. My friends scorn me, my eye pours out tears to God, that he would argue the case of a man with God, as a son of man does with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return. He says that my plea of innocence needs to be proclaimed, and I need to see that justice in the world. And justice for Job at this point is that, that the affliction would be gone and his name would be restored because they're defaming him in this way by, by suggesting that it's his sin that caused all this to come upon him. He says, look, I'm not going to be here that long. I, I need somebody at some point in time. There needs to be justice for me. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. I don't care anymore. I don't care about life anymore. It's too painful for me to contemplate continuing on with this. I, I, I'm ready. 
If I hope for Sheol as my, the place of the dead, as my house, if I make my bed in darkness, if I say to the pit, you're my father and the worm, my mother or my sister, the worm being the one who eats the flesh of those who have gone down to the dust, where then is my hope? Who shall see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? In other words, if my hope, if I die, then my hope dies with me. It will not go down to the grave. And God's answer to that is, you ain't seen nothing yet, Job. That is not the end. You might think it is. It's not the end. It's not the way all this stuff ends. That's not the final word. You might have perished, but you didn't die if you die in the Lord. And so when we seek for justice, do what we know as Christians, because we know the resurrection is, is a fait accompli, it's an already done thing, then because we know that, then we know that there is ultimately justice will be done, that our names will be cleared, we will be with him throughout all eternity and in a place where there's neither sighing nor crying, there's no sorrow, there's no death, there's no separation from God, there's no evil, there's no sin, and, and we know that to be true. And so we know that, that so long as we pursue him and we pursue his righteousness, because that does matter, then, then we will not see death. We will live forever with him. If we believe in Jesus and we pursue righteousness in our own lives, if we forsake evil and pursue righteousness, then, then we are showing in that way that we are believers, that his righteousness mattered completely and ultimately, and it continues to matter completely and ultimately for us, and so we should pursue the kind of life that his was. So we are seeking after him, and we are seeking to emulate him in our lives. And we'll know then that, yes, I will be raised up in the last day, and I will see God in my eyes, and I will be vindicated, and everything will be well. It's important for us to, to rest in that. And so Job has given up, and he says there's no hope, ultimately, It'll, it'll be okay, I guess, but I need to know it now. And sometimes we don't get the answer now. Sometimes we don't get the vindication we want in the present, even in this life. Sometimes we have to live with injustice towards us for a period of time because God's giving those other people an opportunity to repent of their sins in the same way that he gave the Canaanites an opportunity. But when, his time, when the time came, he was no longer patient with their sin, and judgment fell on them. And that's what we saw yesterday with Herod. Herod had done a bunch of wicked things. Just accepting this glory from people that was due to God alone was not his first sin. He, he's the one who killed the innocents. He's the one who killed John the Baptist. Not a good man. Not a good man. Killed several of his own family members who he was afraid wanted his throne. Uh, not a good man. And then for him to accept any sort of praise like he's a god was the final straw. So here in the in the uh, gospel today, it's one of my favorite gospel readings, 
from John 9, it's the man born blind. And so he, as, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So their theology, the default theology of almost every single person, in fact, is that. There's, there's a reason. Sin must be the reason this happened. Did, did he sin or did his parents sin? Is that the re- that's gotta, one of those has got to be the reason that this guy was blind. Jesus answered, it wasn't this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, this is a good thing. It's good that he was born blind. It's so that God's glory could be displayed in this guy. So the, the theology, this default theology, which, is, which, which ruins so much of what we actually believe, and it ruins the way we understand the world around us, our place in it, and him is wrecked because of that theology right there. And it's the same theology that Job has when he says, I didn't sin, therefore nothing bad should happen to me. And it's the same theology that his friends have when they say he must have sinned because of all these bad things that happened to him. We have to get over this. We have to rebuke it every time it rises up in us. We need to speak to that thing and say, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We know that God is righteous and just, but he is also gracious and merciful, and he is good. I, I can't stress that enough. So after Jesus says it's, that it's not that his man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So we've got to assume that this guy hears all this, that he's sitting there. And I can remember listening to Larry Crabb one time speaking at the Cove here in Asheville at Billy Graham Training Center. And I can remember him saying, reading this passage and, and hearing this guy, hearing Jesus saying, it's so that the glory of God could be displayed in him. And he said that, that you put yourself in that man's place. And he's 40 years old. We know that. <laughs> and, and, and he could cry, that's not fair. Why can't the works of God or the glory of God be displayed in me some other way rather than being born blind and living as a blind man for the 40 years? That could have been his attitude, but it wasn't. It was not that man's attitude. His attitude towards everything is so different from the man that Jesus heals at the pool in Bethesda. In in John 5, it's absolutely incredible. This guy could have said, foul not okay. Why couldn't that have happened to somebody other than me? But that's not his attitude. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He was obedient. He just did what Jesus told him to do. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, because he could, he had to beg to get his money, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it's he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. (laughs) You can understand that people would be reluctant to accept this. This guy's been born blind. He's been blind for 40 years. They're accustomed to seeing him. They know who he is. But now that he's seeing, it's too good to be true. In the same way that we've looked at other stories through this week that are, that are too good to be true and people just don't believe them. Nope, can't be him. Can't possibly be him. This guy can see. And nobody's ever heard of anything like healing a man born blind who's been blind for 40 years. So it can't be him. It, it must be an imposter. 
you know, people believe all kinds of weird things, right? I mean, I, I can remember what a year ago, year and a half ago, two years ago, something like that. There was this bizarre belief that in this, there's this Q thing that was out there, right? That was that that supposedly was telling the truth about all these conspiracies and all this stuff behind. And and one of the beliefs that people came to was that John F. Kennedy Jr., who died, I mean, 30 years ago or whatever it was, was Q, and that he was going to come back. That he didn't actually die. People believed that about John Kennedy, his father for a long time. People believed that about Elvis. People believed all this stuff. And it's like you believe the strangest things. You're willing to accept this stuff, but then you're not willing to accept the truth of the gospel. It's it's absolutely crazy. But these people can't get their heads around the possibility that this guy was healed. Not of that. Not of that kind of blindness. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? If you're the man who was born blind, he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. How could he? <laughs> He'd never seen him before. <laughs> he had only heard his voice. <clears throat> they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day, uh-oh. <laughs> when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And, and so now the making of mud is work because he had to combine two things and, and put them together and make something. So, so it was an act of work, which would have been forbidden on the Sabbath. And, and not only that, he instructed the man to go do some work in washing that off. Both those things would have qualified as work, and therefore they would have been sinful acts on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. I mean, he's making it simpler here. He's not going through the whole thing of Jesus told me to do this, which is the opposite of what the guy in the pool at Bethesda did in in John 5, because when they asked him what had happened, he said, That guy, Jesus, over there, that guy told me to sin. It doesn't let him off the hook, but but it doubles Jesus' sin that he told this man to sin causes him to be worse, and he can't possibly be a teacher, and he can't possibly be considered righteous because he doesn't seem to understand the law, or if he does, he doesn't seem to care about the law. And so here it's the same thing. So he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. I mean, he's not giving it all away. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? So there's this conflict between what I see and what I know, and what I know is, well, he's breaking the Sabbath because he's doing this work on the Sabbath, and other people are going, well, did you not see the sign that he did? That, that would seem to override what you think is breaking the Sabbath. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. I mean, I don't know what to make of him. I, I, I believe at least that he's a prophet, because he's doing these things. And, and, and a prophet would be one who is, who is making the kingdom of God known, making the will of God known, breaking into the, the current situation and making God the center of attention, speaking the truth. In the, uh, in the uh, reading from Acts today, they were in the church at Antioch, which is where Paul and Barnabas went back to after they completed their service in Jerusalem. They went back to Antioch after having been there a year. Now, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. And then we get a list. Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That's a pretty important person. And Saul. 
So we get Barnabas and Saul are the bookends, and then you get Simeon, who is also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a, long, a lifelong friend of Herod, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, John Mark, to assist them. It's the third time Luke's given us this guy's name in, in the past three days. So that they, the three of them were there. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas, is what we're being told. <clears throat> when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they, had came a certain, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So he, he's a... This is these are none of these are particularly good. I mean, if he's doing magic, then he's doing it by some power other than the power of God. And if he's a Jewish false prophet, then then either by the way he bears witness or the works that he does are bearing witness to the wrong thing. So that's how he is a false prophet. He's not drawing the attention to God. It's drawing the attention to himself. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, which is the same one that we just mentioned, is this Bar-Jesus, uh, his, his name, what, the meaning of his name is Elymas, the magician, for that's the meaning of the name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. What did he want to turn him to? He wanted to turn him to himself. He was jealous that the proconsul was accepting the truth of the word. It was a profitable thing to be the magician, to the court magician, to the proconsul of Rome. And he knew that if they turned to the faith, if they turned to the truth, then they were turning away from his lies and, and his sorcery. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you stop, not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? In other words, you're a lying spirit. That's all you are. You are full of deceit and villainy. You're the enemy of righteousness. You're the son of the devil. And now, behold, the, land of, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, the teaching of the Lord obviously included <laughs> what Paul just did to this magician who had previously been the one who, who had captivated his belief and attention. So the teaching wasn't just the words Paul spoke, it was the demonstration of the power that was in Paul by the, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to deal with false teaching. And so the teaching itself of Paul was um, authenticated by the power that he had over the false teacher. Man, I wish that I could do that. Every time I heard somebody teaching falsehoods, and lies, I would love to be able to look at him and say, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord and then be able to pronounce a curse upon them that would, that would expose them and expose the power of the Holy Spirit in me in, in order that people would see this greater power. It, 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 it's, it would be such a wonderful thing to have, but you know what? I would probably misuse it. In fact, I know I would. 
I know myself well enough to know that. <clears throat> we have to keep constantly check on ourselves. We also have to always, always be willing for God to do things we don't expect. We need to be willing to see him do great things. We need to be willing to allow him to do great things in our lives, even those things that are painful in the short term. We need to make sure that in all things he gets all the glory and that we can glorify him no matter what the circumstances of our lives are, as this man did. And we can always be prepared to receive healing and to receive blessing.